You know, I think all of us can on different levels kind of relate to that video and the feeling of, now what? And, and you know, the reality is for most of us, um, our now what moment, uh, it, it was a lot bigger than the 9,000 pieces of Legos all over the floor. I mean, for some of you, your now what moment, it was like this big change in your life. Maybe it was a career change that you decided to make, or maybe you didn't decide to make it. It was made for you. Or maybe for some of you, you got this idea that you wanted to buy another house or you wanted to move to another community, and so you packed up your house, and uh, all of a sudden you end up in the place that you dreamed of, or maybe you didn't dream of being there, and it's now what? Maybe for some of you, your now what moment has been recently is you move from like middle school to high school or you move from high school to college or from high school to some kind of career. Or maybe some of you, it was kind of like Melody and I recently, it was like when you became empty nesters and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be exciting. And then all of a sudden it's like, now what? <laughs> or maybe for some of you, it's a lot more serious than that. Um, when you packed your bags and you left her house because she wanted a divorce. Or even more serious than that, maybe if it can be more serious than that, is when you stood by the casket of someone that you just lost and you so deeply loved them. And you thought, now what do I do to move on? See, we've all had those now what moments when all of a sudden life changes and, and sometimes you go through this big change because you wanted the change and it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. And sometimes you go through this big change because it was made for you. And you go through this big change and all of a sudden you find yourself in all this new and all this unknown and there's all this new and unknown in front of you and around you and you are thinking, now what? Like, what in the world are we supposed to do now? In fact, I think all of us at all five of our campuses, I think we're all feeling this now what kind of tension. I want you to think about all of our campuses, think about this. Let's start with a Bluntstown campus. I'll go through each one of them. But our Bluntstown campus, they got a new campus pastor in January of 2018. Bluntstown also transitioned five staff on, around, or off their staff in 2018. A lot of change. Chipley Campus got a new family ministry director, a new ministry services leader in March of 2018. They got a new weekend experience director in spring of, of 2018. And they got a new campus pastor in August of 2018. Anybody exhausted yet? Literally all the staff on the Chipley Campus changed in 2018. Wakala Campus, they started meeting in their building in January of 2018. While they were meeting, they renovated the facility. They got them a new campus pastor in August of 2018. They also got a new family ministry director and a new ministry services director in August of 2018. Anybody tired yet? Fairhope. Fairhope merged with RCC in the summer of 2018, renovated their facilities, and during that merger, they experienced more change than what you could ever imagine in, in one year's time. 
And while all that's going on in the Mariana campus, the Mariana campus transition staff in and out to other campuses. Uh, they led in the renovation of the shopping center that's on the Mariana property, purchased the, the shopping center in April of 2018. And during all of that, they sent staff members every week during the week to other campuses to help them with their transitions. And on Sunday, sent staff members every Sunday to help them through their transitions as well. And so... Um, we all kind of need a vacation, right? Now what is a vacation, right? Well, wait well, and stop. And then in October 2018, there was a hurricane that affected all of us on all of our campuses in one way or another, right? So it's like, you know, sometimes I even chuckle. It's like people go, well, I know everybody else's campus just got an easy time. I wish ours would be. I'm like, oh, you hadn't seen that story. And so you find yourself sometimes going, now what? And here's what happens about three months into 2019, now that all the kind of the busyness of all those initial stress changes and emotions are wearing off of those changes. I think many of us as a church family, we're finding ourselves in this stage of saying, now what? So what we're going to do in this series is I want to help you to process this whole now what season as a church family, but not just as a church family, because we want to help you process this personally. Because see, th this question, now what? Well, what it does is it goes so much deeper and it applies to so much more than just what we experienced as a church in 2018. And so to help us begin to process this now what question, I want to take us through a series of questions this morning to kind of help you begin on the journey of processing this yourself. So I'm going to ask you several questions and see where you find yourself at on this now what kind of continuum. So for some of you, the question is this. What's frustrating you right now? Like, like what's that thing that's like bothering you or annoying you or even causing like some irritation in your life? What, what's that thing that is causing you, that's frustrating you right now and, ask, and causing you to go, now what? Well, what is that thing that is frustrating you? Maybe for you, it's something like as simple as a friend of mine who, who was telling me he had this toothache and he's taking all this ibuprofen, all this cocktail of Tylenol and stuff, and, and he's going like, man, this toothache, it's just, it's just so annoying, so frustrating. And I'm like, why don't you go to the dentist? He goes, well, I might have to have a root canal, and I hate dentists, and I hate root canals, and I hate all that stuff. And, or maybe it's that you bought, this is another person told me this recently, they bought their child a, a new cell phone. And the child refuses to answer them when they call them. And in fact, when the parent calls his child, the child texts back and says, what do you need? <laughs> and as a parent, you're sitting there going, if you answered the call, you would know. There was some mama in the back of the room and one of the campus go, whoo, whoo, like, I'll take care of that child for you, right? So, so what is, I mean, like, what is that thing that is, like, frustrating you right now? And some of you, you're sitting on our campus and you're thinking, oh, that's just kind of trivial stuff. Because for you, I mean, it's something a whole lot more painful than just something frustrating and annoying. Maybe it's not, like, what's frustrating you right now, but it's what's discouraging you right now. Like, what's causing discouragement in your life? Maybe for you, that discouraging thing in your life, it's your job. I mean, you just got a new boss or a new manager. 
and you thought you were going to get that promotion, and so you feel like you need a new job, and, and you feel like you need to get, you need at least some kind of recognition for what you've done. Maybe for others of you, it's like, what's discouraging is you just can't get ahead financially. You keep trying, and every time you get a little bit of money saved up, then a car breaks down, or you get some kind of medical bill, or you get some other kind of unexpected thing, and it's like you're so discouraged financially. Maybe for some of you, there's a relationship that is discouraging you. And for others of you, you would even say, oh, no, 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 that's not what has me saying, now what? That, that thing that's always like at the front of my mind, that's always weighing me down and causing, you know, more stress in my life than what you can imagine, you would say it's something that is defeating you. So for what's your question would be, like, what's defeating you right now? Maybe for you, it's that teenager of yours that's, making some really terrible decisions. I mean, you were going along so good and you thought they were making wise choices and now all of a sudden it's like, man, they're just making really terrible decisions and you feel so defeated as a parent. I mean, maybe for some of you, it's a spouse that is all of a sudden starting to make some really terrible decisions and you're just feeling really defeated in your marriage. And some of you, you feel so defeated that you go, oh, if I was just a little discouraged with my teenager, with my marriage. But for some of you, it's so much worse than just feeling defeated. For some of you, maybe this is a question you would have to answer. And that's what's devastating you right now? What is it in your life that is devastating you right now? I mean, maybe it was a diagnosis that you received from the doctor this past week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago or four weeks ago. Maybe it's that you've desired to have a child and you've prayed about it and you've asked God for it and, and, and you can't get pregnant and it doesn't look like it's going to happen or you, you've tried to adopt and, I mean, the door just keeps closing on you and you just feel, man, so devastated. Maybe it's someone that close to you that you loved suddenly passed away. Or maybe, maybe they moved out and you know that your marriage is on the brink and you feel so devastated. You feel so hopeless. See, here's what I know. All of us on every one of our campuses, we're experiencing one of those emotions. All of us, we're somewhere between frustrated, annoyed, and irritated to something in our life that is totally devastating us right now. But here's what else we know. No matter where you find yourself emotionally, most of the time when we're experiencing those emotions, all the way from frustration to discouragement, most of the time, our response to frustrating, discouraging, defeating, devastating is something like this. I just wish this would go away. I just wish I could change this. I mean, I wish I could fix this. I mean, I just, I wish this would be gone. I mean, I just wish I could like quickly remove this out of my life. In fact, have any of you ever done like me and you prayed this remove it kind of prayer? 
It's like, God, can you get this out of my life? I mean, I think if we're all honest, we all at some point have said something like, God, would you just please take this out of my life? Would you just remove it? Now, for some of us, the way that we say, God, you need to remove this, and our prayers sound something more like this. We go, God, would you heal this in my body? Or God, would you fix my marriage? Or God, would you change my work circumstances? But you know, when we pray those kind of prayers, they're they're all prayers of saying, God, remove it. God, get it out of my life. And, And one of the primary reasons that we ask God to remove it is because we, every one of us, including me, I mean, we love our comfort, don't we? Don't we love our comfort? I mean, like, we, we love that feeling of happiness. We love that feeling of pleasure, that life is good. I mean, we just want to enjoy our lives, don't we? And then anything that comes along and it gets in the way of our comfort and our happiness and our enjoyment of life, I mean, like, we just want it out of our life. God, just remove this, heal this, fix this, change this, God. But have you noticed that those things that we pray and we ask God to remove, have you ever noticed how many times they don't get removed right away? I mean, sometimes it seems like God even allows it to get worse before it gets better. And you ask God to remove it like over and over and over And it's not getting any better. In fact, it feels like it's getting worse. And so now you're standing there going, now what? Now what? But what if? What what if God is up to something in the middle of that thing that you have been praying and asking him to remove? What if there's a reason why he's not removing what is causing you to ask, now what, in your life? What if there's something that he wants to do in the middle of all of that frustration, in the middle of all that discouragement, in the middle of all that desperation? What if there's something that he wants to do in the middle of that? And we feel like in this series and in this season as a church that that's something that we all need to consider. See, see, what's true about so many of us is that we all have things that we look back on in our life and, and we say, man, that was a really tough season in my life, but I got through it. And that's the key line is, I got through it. See, that's what most of us do. We, we get through it and And the good thing is, is that most people do get through it, and and that's good, but haven't we all met some of those people in our life that do more than get through it? I mean, like, there's this group of people who just do so much more with their life than just get through life. I mean, they actually, when they go through tough seasons, they get something out of it. I mean, haven't we all met people who like, we're just so in awe of their story because when they tell their story, how they went through hell and back, I mean, it almost like sounds as, as they tell their story that they were grateful for that experience. It's kind of like a friend told me some time ago, he's going through, a, I went through a really difficult time and he said, you know, I would not want to go through that again but I am so glad for what I learned from that experience. And it's almost like when you talk to people who got something from it, it's like as they look back, they're so grateful for what they got out of the pain that the pain was almost worth it. 
I was just recently this past week having, having lunch with a guy, and, and he was telling me, he's like, man, I don't like my job, and I don't even want to be in this line of work. And, and I always felt like God was calling in, me into the ministry and to do some other kind of life that I'm doing right now in ministry. But then he's saying, but you know, as I look back on the job that I'm in, as frustrating and as discouraging as it's been, it almost feels like it's worth it because I'm learning so much about problem solving and I'm learning so much about people relationships and I'm learning so much about management and leadership. I think I'm going to be so much better when God does place me in, in a ministry role. It's almost like he was grateful for his pain. Now, here's what I know. All of us, we are going to find ourselves in the midst of a now what season all through our life. And here's what else I know. It is so much better when you are in a now what season to be a I got something out of it kind of a person rather than I just got through it. So to help us process this now what season of our lives as a person who like gets something out of it instead of just going through it, we're going to look today at a conversation that Jesus had with some of his closest followers. And this conversation is found in John chapter 15. And in this conversation, Jesus looks at his closest followers. He says, listen, here's the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. In fact, Jesus in this conversation, he's letting us in on what it can look like, the potential for all of us when we experience the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us when we are in and what it means for us when we are in a now what kind of season. In fact, here's what Jesus says. John chapter 15, if you want to follow along in your Bibles or put it up on the screens. John chapter 15, verse 5, here's what Jesus says. I am the vine. In fact, in verse 1, we're going to go back to verse 1 in just a moment. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And the reason that's so important is because there are a lot of fake vines out there that are trying to offer us like the answers to life, the solutions to life, saying, here's real life. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I am the true vine. I am the true source of life. And then he continues. He says, I am the vine. That's Jesus' role. And he says, and you are the branches. So Jesus has a role, and we have a role. Jesus' role is the vine. That's to be the source of life. And we are the branches. We're the conduit for anything that Jesus wants to do in and through our lives. And so what Jesus is saying in this statement, he's saying, this is the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. I want to be the conduit for your life. I want you to be connected to me. In fact, he goes on and he says it this way. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, this word remain right here is kind of a simple word, but sometimes it can kind of be a complex idea to understand about our relationship with God. Maybe another way of saying it would be like if you, in fact, some of your translations may say, if you abide in me, or if you live with me, or you stay close to me, then you'll do what? You will bear much fruit. He says, if you stay connected, you will bear a lot of fruit in your life, not because you tried, but because you are connected 
to the vine. And then Jesus drives home the importance of this connection in this next statement when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we'll come back to that statement in just a moment. But there's something I don't want you to miss in this conversation. And it's something that we skipped on purpose, and it's an extremely powerful part of this conversation. And it's a part of the conversation that Jesus had with his closest followers that most of us really don't want to hear. In fact, as we read it, you're probably going to think, man, I, I wish that wasn't in there. I just wish this wasn't there. In fact, here's how Jesus starts this whole idea, starting in verse 1. Notice what Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my Father, God, is the gardener. So Jesus has a role, the role of the vine, and then God, our Father, well, he's the gardener, and if God is the gardener, that makes him the master gardener. It's funny, it kind of was one person I heard say, he says, God doesn't just have a green thumb, God created the green thumb. Now, that's a really neat way of thinking about God as this gardener until you start thinking about God actually getting involved in your garden. Because when God starts cultivating in your garden, something starts happening. Notice what happens beginning in verse 2. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. When he says he cuts off every branch, it, it, do, it means that these branches are not disconnected. The, these branches, they are connected branches. But don't miss this next statement because it's so powerful. This term right here, he cuts off. Most Bible scholars, they translate this so different than what we kind of read it on the surface. Most Bible scholars say this in the original language means he lifts up every branch in me that doesn't bear any fruit. Literally, God the gardener, he lifts up the branches that are not bearing any fruit. So kind of imagine how this works. I mean, you've got this vine with all these branches and, and maybe some of the branches are down on the ground and they're in the mud or they're in the dirt and, and they're not getting any kind of light and it's not getting any kind of space to grow and be fruitful. And the gardener comes along and he sees these branches down in the dirt and the mud and he grabs the branches and he lifts it up and he ties it up so that it can receive air and it can receive light so that it can feed on the vine so that fruit can begin to grow. In fact, I watched my mom and dad. I mean, they were so into fruit trees and vines and grapevines and those kind of things. It was just so aggravating for me as a kid because I had to help them with that stuff. But you know, I watched my mom and dad do that for years. I mean, they, they would just see this branch that was down and they'd lift it up and it died up so it could become fruitful. And Jesus is telling us, that's the picture of remaining. And when you read that, I mean, that's just so encouraging. I mean, he's like, he brings life to what's not bearing fruit. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says something else, and it's something else that I watched my mom and dad do. And at, and at first, it's like, that makes no sense. Notice what else Jesus does. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. And in our minds, that's not how it should work. I mean, if a branch is being fruitful, why would you cut it off? I mean, in our minds, it's like, oh, you're being more generous. Good for you. I'm going to give you that promotion that you've been praying for. 
or I'm watching you become more self-controlled, so I'm going to allow you to be blessed with more money, or, oh, you're being so much nicer to the students in your school, so I'm going to go ahead and give you that starting position on that ball team that you want to be a part of. But according to Jesus, that's not what a good gardener does. So why would we expect anything less from the master gardener, God? And don't miss what Jesus says in this verse. He, he doesn't say, while some branches that bear fruit he prunes. No, no, no. He says, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Literally, what Jesus is saying is this. Every single branch in your life that is bearing fruit, Jesus says, here's what happens. God comes along and he says, oh, that's great. You're bearing fruit in that area. But guess what we're going to do? We're going to prune it. And why does he prune it? Because it will become more fruitful if he allows you to go through the pruning process. And here's what we all know. The pruning season's not fun. I mean, but the gardener, he does this to every branch that had fruit on it. Why? Let me give you several reasons. You might want to write, write these down. When you prune a branch, here's the first thing. It becomes more dependent upon the vine. Like, whenever you cut a branch back, you put it in a position where it has to draw on and depend on the vine in a way that it has never had to depend on that vine. And then when it does that, when it begins to depend on that vine in a way that it's never done before, what happens is it begins to experience growth in all kind of new areas. In fact, whenever you prune a branch, and man, this was just so fascinating to me as a kid watching this, whenever my parents would do this kind of stuff. Most of the time, it doesn't grow back with just like one new branch. No, what happens to that branch you prune off? I mean, it grows back with like multiple branches. It literally reaches potential that was just impossible to be reached when it was, before it was pruned. In fact, that is the whole point of pruning. See, the same thing is true in our relationship with God. At times, what God will do is he'll pull out the shears in your life, and he starts pruning in your life, and you're thinking, God, like everything was fine here. I mean, like I was being so fruitful in this area of my life. I mean, everything was going so good, and I didn't even need it to change. I didn't even want it to change. And now, God, you're pruning me, really? And you start praying, God, remove this, please. Like, like remove this. And God's answer is, well, I'm just going to let it stay a little bit longer because I'm pruning you. And then as we become more dependent on the divine, the same with a branch, what happens is our life, it, it reaches a potential that was previously impossible. And not only that, but a pruned life, what it does is allows us to experience growth in new areas. All of a sudden, we're, we're experiencing God using us and producing fruit in our life and in areas in ministry that we never thought would happen before in impacting people's life that we never thought was possible before. And here's the thing you need to understand this morning. If you're a Christ follower, God wants to grow you. I mean, if you're a dad or a mom or a student, I mean, God wants to grow you. If you're a boss, if you're a leader, God wants to grow you. God wants to grow you. Listen, if you are breathing, God wants to grow you. 
And here's the thing. There is growth in your life that you will never see and you can never experience unless God allows that thing in your life that you so desperately want removed. And by allowing it, by God allowing it in your life, what it does is it forces you to become more dependent on him. And here's the thing. If you've ever gone through a season that's challenging, that's tough, oh, you know how difficult that feels. In fact, I'll never forget the most difficult. I mean, it's just, it's always so present and fresh on my mind. Every day of my life. I'll never forget the most difficult season of my life. And, and some of you have heard me talk about it before. It was, it was a six-year journey in my life. In fact, it was such a desperate and devastating season in my life that many days I was so desperate and so devastated that I begged God to take my life. Like, God, will you just take me out of this world? Will you just get me out of this misery? I don't care if you remove this or not. Just take me out of it. In fact, during that season, um, my wife and I, we ended up living in her parents' basement for six years. And if you ever heard me tell that story, you know, I say there's, never, there's not a lower place you can go in life than living under your in-laws. It just... <laughs> It doesn't get any lower than that. And I, I was young and I was ambitious, if you can imagine that. And so about 22, 23, I bought a hardware and building supply and, and I started going on this journey. We had some people early on file bankruptcy on us and some big stuff, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 kind of stuff. And, and then I had a guy that was supposed to take care of some liabilities when I bought the business and he reneged on that. It cost me about $200,000 to do that. All of a sudden, so I'm finding myself just just in this desperate place. And I was so determined to make it. So determined. I'd work night and day, work in the hardware all day long, and then at night I'd go out and build houses till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and go home and sleep for a couple hours, take a shower, go back to work at 5. I mean, I did that for a couple years. And all the time just saying, God, I'm going to prove to you I can do this and prove to everybody else. And then it started breaking me. It really started breaking me. And I remember crying out to God, and I, I'd get up at night because I couldn't sleep whenever I was at home. And um, I remember just falling my knees before God night after night, just saying, God, man, if you'll just get me through this, God, if, if you will just remove this. And I remember saying to God, God, I will just be totally dependent on you from this day on. God, I will never say that I did anything on my own without you again. And I remember in one of those conversations saying, God, if you'll just remove this, I'll just live totally dependent on you. I'll never think or believe or say that I was able to accomplish anything without you because without you, I can do nothing. And it was like in that moment, God whispered, listen, you are always this dependent on me. You're just feeling the level of dependency that you should always feel in your life right now. And in that moment, I begin to understand what it truly means to live connected to the vine, totally dependent on God for my life and everything that happens in my life. And I would not want to go through that season again, not just because of what it did, for, did to me, but man, my wife is such a champion. 
she stayed with me through that whole six years of me fighting God before I surrendered. But you know, I'm so glad I did. Because I wouldn't be close to the person I am today. I wouldn't have any humility. I was just such an arrogant jerk back then. I wouldn't be the husband that I am today. I mean, every time I look at my wife, I go, man, she put up with so much. How can I not serve her the rest of my days? I wouldn't be the dad. I wouldn't be the leader that I am. And you know what? I wouldn't even be a pastor because I was running so hard away from God. Being a pastor was the last thing on my mind. But in that season, I learned to be totally dependent on God and it's something I learn every day again and again, but I commit to every day. In that season, man, God stretched my faith. He deepened my faith in ways that would have never happened had I not gone through it. And I just want to tell you, if you're going through one of those seasons where you're being pruned right now, listen, the primary thing that God wants to do in your life is he wants you to feel how really dependent upon him you are. And I can tell you, through my life experience, that's not fun. But it's what God wants for you. Which is why we all pray, God, when we go through the seasons, God, will you remove this kind of prayer? And God says, you know what? I'm going to leave it a little bit longer. Not because I'm mad at you. Not because I'm disciplining you. But because I want to grow you. Because, see, it's through the th pruning. That, that's really the only place that you're going to be able to grow and experience the growth that God wants in your life. So God says, listen, will you let me use this before I remove it? See, that's what God wants to do in every one of your lives. And some of you are sitting there going, are you saying that the loss I'm experiencing God caused or, or the pain that I'm going through? Or are you saying the tragedy in my life that God caused? No, 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 no. Here's what we believe. We believe that there's enough pain and brokenness in the world to account for all the pain and all the brokenness in your life. And the point of what Jesus is saying, it's not about where your pain is coming from. It's about what God wants to do in and through your pain. It's not where it's from, it's where it's headed. It's about how God wants to use it. And please hear my heart, and this is why I'm a pastor. See, the hope that Jesus Christ gives us because of his resurrection from the dead. And this is why Easter is so meaningful to me. Because see, God showed us that in the midst of that incredible, what seemed like a major tragedy of Christ dying on the cross, that he can bring new life and greater life than what we could ever imagine. And I believe with all my heart and we believe with all of our heart as a church that in the midst of the worst pain and the middle of your darkest hour, and God, he can do amazing things in and through you that you never imagined. That's what we believe as a church for you, and that's what I know personally because I've gone through it so much. And as your pastor, I want it so bad for you. I really want it bad for you. So what would change about your perspective of your life if you walked out of today and you said, okay, God, God, I, I understand for the very first time that you want to use this in my life before you remove it, 
Well, what would shift in your mind if you stopped spending all your time like I did in the first part of those six years, spending all of my energy trying to work harder and do more on my own and, and at the same time saying, God, get this out of my life. I'm, you know, what, what would happen if you would shift your mind and you would start focusing all your energy on God and say, God, what do you want to do now? How do you want to use this? And what if you begin to understand that there's like this level in your life that you cannot reach if God removed what you were going through or what you went through? What if there's something that God wants to do in and through your life, and and this is the only way, this pruning process is the only way for you to get there? Like, what what if there's a level that you can only reach if you allow God to use what he's doing in your life? I mean, as I told you, man, like when, when my life was going really backward for me in that six, year, that six year period when we're living in that basement, I mean, I remember wrestling with this and I was struggling with it and I'm asking God, now what? Now what? Now what? And I have such a bitter attitude like, now what? Why is this happening? God, and even like this, and some of you are there, and God, this is so embarrassing. I'm working harder than anybody I know and other people are passing me in life and they're getting ahead of me. And I was so angry, and I was so frustrated, and I was so bitter with God. And there were times that I just say, God, I hate you. I work harder than anybody. And you're letting me have this, experience this. Then in the middle of all that wrestling and struggling, I remember when I had this thought, I think God might want to use this. And then it was that moment when I realized, I, I mean, I think God wants to use this more than he wants me to experience the things that I want to experience. And what if God has put me in this position where he's trying to get me to say, God, I want you to use this more than I want you to remove it. And let me just tell you, if you're getting there in your life, I'm telling you, based on my past experience, I mean, I think you're in the right place. It's called the place of surrender. It's called the place of brokenness before God. I mean, I didn't get there in a moment. I mean, it took me years because I was hard-headed. But when I did, God was able to grow me in ways that I never, ever imagined. And don't miss this. Please don't miss this part of it. Remember Jesus said in verse 1, My father is the gardener. Listen, God is your father if you're a Christ follower. And he wants to know how you feel. If you hate it, tell him you hate it. If you want it gone, tell him you want it gone. Because he needs to hear that so he can get you to the place where where we all can just basically say, God, you know how I feel. You know I want this gone. But God, would you please use this in my life? in whatever way you want to, before you choose to remove it. And parents, you get this. You absolutely get this. See, I mean, haven't we? I remember going back. I was just in a conversation with one of our staff, and he's got a son about 12, 13 months old. And, you know, they're they're like, when, when they're in that stage, they can look at you with their eyes. I remember this with my children, and, and they can communicate, even though they verbally can't say everything. And it's like, don't, don't you remember when you put your bed down or put your child down to bed, and, 
and they didn't want to be put down and they didn't want to be put in their bed by themselves and and they look up at you and they start that whimpering thing and their lip starts quivering and you know the next thing you know there's that whimper and then tears start running down and they give you this look like if you love me like you say you love me you will pick me up and that's where most of us break but after a while, when you get so sleep-deprived, you go, man, as much as I would love to pick you up, as much as I hate to see you cry, you know what's best for them because you understand if they don't learn to be a self-soother and put themselves to sleep when they're young, they're going to be a lot more lack self-control and not be able to soothe themselves and have a lot more possibility of an addictive personality when they're a teenager. I mean, you know, you understand it's all part of that maturing, growing process. So you do what's best for them and you let them lay there and you turn around and you walk out of the room and you hear them cry. And you do that as a parent because you're a good parent and you let them feel pain at times because you know that's what they need to grow and mature. How much more, how much more is God, who is a perfect father, going to allow you to go through pain and difficulty and trials and prune you, allow you to go through things that you wish you would not have to go through? How much more is he going to allow that as a good father, a perfect father? In fact, David, I think, he, he struggled with God, I think, for years with this. Because David, he ran from Saul. He was anointed king, and then he spends the next 15 years running from Saul for him, trying to just keep, stay alive. And in the middle of all this wrestling, going, God, why are you allowing me to be pruned again and again and again? David writes these words in Psalms chapter 18, verse 30. He says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Literally, he shields all who say, I am going to stay connected to you. I'm going to take refuge in you. So would you today say to God, God, whew, as hard as this is to say, because it's a statement of surrender, will you say, God, I want to grow more today than I want to be comfortable God, I'm going to find refuge in you. And God, instead of saying, now what? Now that all this mess has happened in my life, this change has happened in my life, and it's not turning out, now what? I'm going to say, now what, God? Now what would you like to do in my life? As I take refuge in you, now what would you like to do in and through me? I surrender and I take refuge in you. Will you choose to do that today? See, I know what it's like to live on this side of now what? Now what, God? Now what are you going to do? Now what is going to happen? Now what? Versus coming over here and going, now what, God? I'm your servant. Do unto me as you see fit. And I know it's going to be for your good, for my good and for your glory. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I, I pray that today every one of us would change the tone of our now what question. 
May we walk out of the room saying, now what, Father, would you like to do in and through my life as you continue to prune me and as you prepare me to be even more fruitful? Father, it's hard, it's frustrating, it's discouraging, it's devastating. But I choose to take refuge in you. Because I'm more committed to being like Jesus than I am my comfort. I'm more committed to seeing fruit from my life than I am being comfortable. So today I say, Jesus, now what would you like to do? I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.